Of all the signings the New York Mets have made this offseason, which one will prove to be the most impactful? We'll talk about it on today's show. You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Ryan Ficklestein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on X at Ficklestein Ryan. You can also find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com, where I worked as the managing editor. On today's show, I will be looking at every sign the Mets have made this offseason, and I will pick which is the best one that will help the Mets the most in 2024. Before we get to any of it, though, I'm your host, Ryan Ficklestein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on X at Ficklestein Ryan. You can also find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com, where I work as the managing editor. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers who join today will get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. Well, we wanted Wandy Peralta to be a New York Met to be that second lefty in the bullpen. But unfortunately, he has signed elsewhere. He signs a four-year, $16.5 million deal with the San Diego Padres. And while you could feel bad about it and you could say, oh, the Mets struck out again, when the terms of that contract came out, you realize that the Padres just gave out a ridiculous deal, and that's why they got him. I mean, you could say, hey, $4 million per, essentially, for a relief pitcher is a, a fine contract. But also, I would say four years to a reliever is pretty steep. Now, others would look at the opt-outs after every year and be like, hey, it's probably not a four-year deal. It's going to be a one-year deal if he pitches well. And while that could be true, you're putting all of the leverage in the player's hands, all of the control in the player's hands. An opt-out after every season. So if Wandy Peralta is great this year, he's gone. But guess what happens if he's terrible? So the Padres were able to structure a contract that got a really good reliever in-house for them They are trying an interesting way to build their roster where they are really focusing on bullpen. They're trusting that they got enough starter depth in that Juan Soto trade, and we'll see if they're good enough. But this was a miss by the Mets, but not one that you can really blame on this front office. And now with Peralta off the board, you wonder if the Mets are going to do anything else. Now, there was some interest in Ryan Stanek, but they got Adam Adovino. So do they want Stanek and Adovino, or are they just going to roll with Adam Adovino and trust that this collection of arms they brought in this free agency when it comes to minor league deals will result in some solid depth in that bullpen. But that brings us to the topic of the show today, which is which of the free agent signs the Mets have made will be the most impactful. And Adam Adovino, Jorge Lopez, the bullpen additions are are worth mentioning, but if that ends up being your most impactful signing, it means the Mets had a bad year. So we're not going to waste too much time on that one. And we're not going to waste any time on the mystery box of minor league relievers. No, we're going to talk about the more significant deals, which also means we had to throw aside Joey Wendell. I will note $2 million deal for Joey Wendell. He got uh, incentives of $100,000 each. If he hits 250 plate appearances, 300, 350, 400, or 450 plate appearances, that's $500,000 in incentives. If he clears those incentives, 
the Mets had a bad year. So the way I view it, and because I have been so vocal about my disdain for that signing, I'm sure Joey Wendell has a great year and have to buy a Wendell jersey, which is an inside joke, I guess, kind of. It's a real thing. Our jersey bets um, with Locked On Mets that the longtime listeners uh, know and will certainly be letting me know throughout the season every time Joey Wendell gets a knock. But really, if you're trying to answer the question of today's show, it comes down to the three signings that were eight-figure deals. Who will be the most impactful of Sean Manaya, Luis Severino, and Harrison Bader? So we begin with the guy that got the most money, the guy that got the multi-year deal, Sean Manaya. got a two-year, $28 million deal. Now he gets that second year with the opt-out because he's at least going to be healthy and give you some innings. And in this market, healthy starting pitchers were getting ridiculous contracts. And so the Mets settle on a guy that they believe there's upside. They are probably hoping that he has an, an unbelievable season and he opts out of that contract and they don't have to worry about him on their 2025 you know, team. It's, it's a deal where if he is sticking around for 2025, it's probably because something went wrong in 2024. But I, I like the signing. I am, the more I'm thinking about it, wondering what that ceiling really is. Shamanaya's best season came in 2018. He had a 3.59 ERA that was in 160 and two third innings pitch with the Oakland Athletics, an Athletics team that won 97 games. But who was on that team? Matt Olson, Jed Lowry, who had 99 RBIs, and the Mets paid him off of that season. Thank you, Brody Van Wagenen. Marcus Simeon and Matt Chapman. What a loaded infield that is. Mark Hanna was in the outfield with Chad Pender and Steven Piscotty. The defense on that team was great. Seventh best in outs above average for a team. Sixth best in runs above average. Twelfth best in defensive runs saved. And second best in ultimate zone rating. He was pitching in a big ballpark. And he only struck out 6.05 batters per nine. 2019, he makes five starts, but then dealt with a shoulder injury. So actually, I don't even know when he did make his five starts. Um, but bottom line, shoulder injury keeps him out for everything but five starts. Didn't pitch well in 2020. The last three years, though, he has turned himself into an effective back-end starter. You know, a high three ERA, then some ERAs in the fours. A guy that's going to be able to, if he's in a rotation, give you 150, 160 innings. Last year, he was in the bullpen a lot for the Giants. So it was 117 um, innings and, and change. It feels like 117 and two-thirds. Regardless, he showed some flashes, and he pitched well in the second half. And he was with driveline all of last year. He added velocity to his fastball. He picked up a sweeper. There's all those little things that you you point to and you try to talk yourself into this being a great sign. But with all of that said, there was four starts down the stretch where he was in the rotation. The last four appearances he made were as a starting pitcher. He went five and two-thirds against Cleveland. Two hits allowed, one earned run, two walks, five strikeouts. Five and a third pitched in Colorado. Gave up eight hits, three runs, no walks, three strikeouts. Seven innings pitched against the Dodgers. Three hits allowed, no walks, no runs, two strikeouts. And then he faced the Padres to close his year, his former team. Six innings pitched, seven hits, two runs, no walks, eight strikeouts. A great final start. With all of that said, the more I think about what the ceiling is for Shamanaya, 
I think it's 2022 Taiwan Walker. And there is nothing wrong with that. That was, for those of you who don't remember, 29 starts, nearly 160 innings pitch, 157 and a third, and a 349 ERA. If the Mets got that from Sean Manaya at $14 million next season, sign me up. And then if he wants to hit free agency, that might end up being the best contract the Mets signed. But if this team wants to you know, surprise people, if this team is actually going to be this, this lovable bunch where they're underestimated to start the year and they turn themselves into a sneaky wild card team, the other two signs the Mets made, Luis Severino and Harrison Bader, those are guys who I believe have a higher ceiling to be the best signing the Mets made this offseason. And my hope is one of those guys will really step up. And the guy who I believe will move the needle the most is who we're going to talk about next, and that is Severino. Before we get into that, though, today's episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience are what brings home the winning trophy. It's also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you could want to maintain your vehicle and to level it up to peak performance, whether that's superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. If you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered with over 122 million parts to choose from. You're always going to find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay's guaranteed fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. eBay's guaranteed fit is only available to U.S. customers. If you could wave a magic wand over one of the Mets free agent signs from this offseason and guarantee complete health and peak performance for this year, there is not a player that would be more impactful than Luis Severino. This guy was unbelievable early on in his career. 2017 to 2018, Severino put up an F war, which is wins above replacement, of 11 in those two seasons. For context, Zach Wheeler, who's been great for the Phillies the last two seasons, has put up an F4 of 10.1. That shows you how good Severino was. He was throwing a 190-plus innings. He had an ERA of 2.98, then an ERA of 3.39, and he struck out 450 batters over that two-year span. It was like 230 one year, 220 the other year. Just dynamic stuff. Was looking like not only the present ace of the Yankees at the time, but a guy that was going to be the future ace of the Yankees. Then the injuries happened. 2019, he had rotator cuff inflammation in his pitching arm, so a shoulder injury. Then a lat strain. He made three starts. 2020, he needs Tommy John. Missed all of 2020. Basically all of 2021, he appeared in six innings. Then 2022 was the return to good health for Severino. For the first 15 starts that season, he was a semblance of himself. A 3.11 ERA. He struck out 10.07 batters per nine. That was an 84 innings pitched. Looked really good. Maybe not quite the same guy. Wasn't going as deep into games. But you know, if they had got that over a full year and it was a low three ERA and 160, 170 innings pitched with a ton of strikeouts, 
Uh, they would have taken that. But he has a bad start in July that year. Gets another latch strain. Okay, that kept him out until September. He's good down the stretch, makes three starts, has a 169 ERA. And then, you know, that season ends. He you know, hopes to return to health in 2023 and does to some respects, but that season was an unmitigated disaster. J- just an awful year for Severino where he pitched in that ERA of 665 and ends up on the Mets now for this season coming off the worst year of his career. He also, I should note, missed time at the end of last season with an oblique strain. So lats and obliques, that's a lot of back and side injuries for a pitcher who relies on velocity. And the velocity was still there last year. He averaged 96.5 miles per hour on that fastball. You look at the movement profile and all of his pitches, they're an inch off here or there. You can't say that his stuff has dropped off considerably. No, his stuff is pretty much what it was in 2022 when, again, he had a 3-1-1 ERA when he was healthy for the first half of the season. If Severino is healthy, it would be a game changer. And also... You have to think about the mental side of the game. And and last year, I don't know what happened. The Athletic did a dive into him tipping his pitches. He probably was to a certain respect, right? Guys were all over his fastball in a way that just should not be possible when he throws 97. Shouldn't be. But guys were teeing off. So you're tipping pitches. You've had year after year after year of injury, and you're in a contract year as well. Suddenly, that Yankees jersey, the one that in his Mets press conference he said he was going to be buried in, you know, he thought he'd die a Yankee. Well, that burden starts to get pretty heavy. That jersey gets a little heavier on your shoulders. When he was on top of the world in 2017 and 18, homegrown ace, guy who could be on a Hall of Fame track back then, right? You have the fall from grace. You you get hurt. You think you finally might be back, and then you get hurt again, 2022. Now you're like, all right, 2023, I showed that when I was on the mound and and I was healthy, I was good, and you're just getting shellacked time and again because you're tipping pitches potentially, whatever it was. You look at some of those individual outings, the Dodgers tag him for seven runs at one point. The Orioles twice in July had 10 hits against him in two separate starts. Gave up seven runs in one, uh, nine runs in another. Just some some brutal outings. There were some good starts mixed in. But you know, he was not himself. So can he become himself again with the New York Mets? It's a tough bet to make that Severino is going to just suddenly click. If he does, he will, without a doubt, be the most impactful signing. The Mets get 31 starts from Luis Severino, which would be a stunning revelation. And he's on, and he's not tipping his pitches, and he's back to not even what he was in 17 and 18, but even if he was a little bit worse than the healthy version of 2022. If he's healthy on the mound for a ton of innings and is pitching to a three, three or three, four, that would be invaluable to the Mets. And why it could happen is because he's just further removed from Tommy John. He has had two seasons where he's been able to at least get out there and make some starts, you know, like 19 starts, not 30, but Hey, he's gotten on the mound a little bit. He's gotten on the bump. 
He's moving to a new league, which I think it's good to him. Um, and it's a change of scenery, which could help. And also, I think it's just potentially less pressure, right? If he viewed himself in a certain light in that Yankees uniform, now you get to put on some blue and orange, go across town, and you know, pitch with a chip on your shoulder. And I really do hope that Severino proves to be the best sign the Mets made this offseason because I think that would be a huge step to them being a really good team. That's not who I'd bet on, though, to be the best sign the Mets made this offseason. Instead, I think it's a signing that I was down on when I first initially saw it. And the more I think about it, the more I marinate with it, the more I believe it's going to end up being the best sign the Mets made. And that's Harrison Bader, $10.5 million. So I want to talk about Bader's impact in the final segment. Before we get to that, though, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday, it's all about hanging out with the family, trying to get that best seat on the couch and grabbing your favorite snacks, but also placing some super bets, whether you like to bet on every prop that you can find, whether that's the color of the Gatorade that's going to get poured on the you know winning coach, whether that's the length of the national anthem, the coin toss, or you know if you want to focus a little bit more on the game like the first touchdown scored, FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two W's or three W's. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score touchdowns, how many points will be scored, and so much more. And new customers who join today will get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. When the New York Mets first signed Harrison Bader, I was not the biggest fan of the deal. I saw Tyrone Taylor as a guy that would have a similar skill set and role with the New York Mets. A fourth outfielder type, a guy that would give you good defense, hopefully provide you with some pop. And I believe that Taylor has more pop in his bat than Harrison Bader. Bader's definitely the better defensive center fielder. He's got more experience. You know, If he's right, he's the better player. But... I just saw it as a a move where the Mets got a guy who was filling a a role um, in Taylor, and then they went out and they signed someone in Bader who should be cast into a similar role. And it was a decent chunk of money that could have been invested towards a DH or could have been invested toward a more offensive-minded outfielder. But again, the more time I've had to think about this, I believe that Harrison Bader is going to play a ton and he might just be close to the everyday center fielder for the New York Mets. And when I look at the three big signs they've made this offseason, if you can define them as big signs, but based on eight figure deals, they're you know, the biggest moves this team has made this offseason. Harrison Bader has the definable skill that I have the least questions about, and that's his glove. Sean Manaya, I don't entirely know what the ceiling is. Luis Severino, I don't trust the health or the performance, really. Do I trust Harrison Bader to hit? Not necessarily, but here's two things I do trust that he'll do. I think he'll hit lefties, 
and he's going to play great defense. You know what? He's also going to run well on the bases. Last year, he stole 20 bases, only got caught three times. So a great base runner, a great defensive center fielder, guy who does bring some pop, who should hit very well against left-handed pitching. There's two questions. It's health, and it's you know how can he at least hold his own against righties? But you look at his last three years, he cut his K rate each year. So he's not striking out a ton anymore. He's putting the ball in play. And last season in particular, he dealt with a ton of injuries. Now that's also a downside, but it's not like he's coming off a torn ACL either. There's a lot of pulled muscles and collisions and just a guy who plays with a lot of effort and energy and maybe plays a little bit too hard sometimes and his body um, ends up you know, dealing with the consequences of that. But if you really go through and you follow the arc of his season last year, you can start to make enough excuses where you talk yourself into Harrison Bader like I just did preparing for the show today. So let me go through the excuses for him. Last year, he has an oblique strain in spring training, so he misses the start of the year, doesn't have your normal ramp up. Comes back in May. Second game he plays, he has a collision in the outfield and you know bangs up his head and his neck. Now, through all of that, he still you know, got on the field for a lot of May and hit six home runs. So that was a pretty good month for him. Then he pulls a hamstring, misses three weeks. Comes back, plays nine games in June, hits for a high average, played all of July, but at one point was hit by a pitch and had some bruised ribs. So I'm sure he's playing through that throughout that month. And then by the time he got to the trade deadline, he was rumored to be dealt. They kept him. He has a terrible August. They put him on waivers to get his money off the books because claimed by the Reds, struggles, and you look at his total numbers for the season, they aren't great. But if you focus in on the first half, where again, he dealt with the oblique and the hamstring injury, he got on the field for just 42 games. But in those 42 games, he hit 257, got on base at a 286 clip, had a 461 slugging percentage. Get here, I'm going to try to do some, oh, actually, I did do the math for myself. I was going to say, i got to add the on base and the slug together to find the OPS. I did myself the favor today. I marked it. He, has a seven, he had a 746 OPS in those 42 games. So if you told me right now that Harrison Bader could do that over 130 games for the Mets, be a just shy of 750 OPS guy, which when you look at way to runs created plus, which is a stat that measures hitters on a league average of 100, his WRC plus was 102. So if he was a league average hitter offensively while giving you the great defense, he's probably going to be a three-win starting center fielder, maybe even a four-win starting center fielder. That's probably the best sign the Mets will have made this offseason. In those 42 games, he had seven home runs. Now, that's a 42-game sample. Let's say he plays 126 games. It's not crazy to think that you know, Harrison Bader could be a 2020 guy while giving you great defense. And he might not get on base at a good clip because he really doesn't walk. But if he is a difference maker in those lineups against the lefties, if you can spare him from the really tough righties, you put Tyrone Taylor in those matchups, maybe you stick DJ Stewart out there in the outfield in some of those games, maybe. And as the season progresses, you, you have other second basemen that you can cycle in, like a Jet Williams or a Luis and Helicuna. And that allows you to uh, you know, slide McNeil into the outfield in some of those days. 
In which case, who knows? Maybe Brandon Nemo is back in center field a little bit because Jeff McNeil's out in the corner. Or maybe Drew Gilbert comes up and you know he can start some games. And in that case, there is a chance that Vader won't be the most impactful signing because maybe Gilbert's eating into his innings. I think the funny thing about Harrison Bader in the context of today's episode of who will be the most impactful, who not even who will, be, who will be the most impactful, who will be the best signing. I feel the most comfortable with what Bader can produce for the Mets, but he's also the most repa- replaceable of these guys. If Bader doesn't work, there's options. There's McNeil going back into the out though. There's Tyrone Taylor who could have a breakout season. There's DJ Stewart who might continue what he did a little bit from last year. There's Starling Marta who hopefully is healthy and producing in the outfield. There's Drew Gilbert who's one call away. There's options. There's less options for Manai and Severino. But I think that just highlights the concern that I have going to the season about the, the health of this starting rotation, not just literally, but you know the ability of this starting rotation. Maybe it was a better word. So we'll see. It's interesting that the one press conference the Mets have done to introduce their free agent signings, though, was Severino and Bader. Because I believe the Mets front office views those two guys as guys that could give a, a peak-level performance this season and be unbelievable signings in retrospect. These guys have the talent. They just have to go out and do it. And I will say one last note that I had here on Bader. Um, I also think when it comes to why he'd be the best sign the Mets made, I do believe that the clubhouse impact is going to be pretty palpable. Like I think having him and, and Pete Alonzo in that dugout together, the fact that he was talking World Series in that introductory press conference, nothing that I think the Mets are going to get there, that because Bader says it, it's going to happen. He's going to speak it into existence. But I think he's going to w- bring a winning mentality to that clubhouse. He's going to play really hard. And his ability to impact so many games with his defense and his speed on, on the bases, and again, the occasional pop and the way he hits lefties, I think he's just a more present threat um, where he will end up being the best sign the Mets have made this offseason. But I also understand Mets fans who are going to look at this entire episode and think, man, the Mets didn't do enough this offseason. Still a little bit of time left, but I would not be counting on uh, more big moves. Anyway, that's going to be all for today's edition of Locked On Mets. Tomorrow to close out the week, I want to talk a little bit about Ronnie Mauricio and Luis Angel Acuna. Did Ronnie Mauricio's injury open the door for more Acuna with the Mets this year? I'll go through that if you want uh, to make sure you don't miss that show and you're listening on the audio side. Please follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, really trying to get to 8,000 subs by the end of the year. So appreciate all of you. Hit that subscribe button. Um, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Finkelstein Ryan. Follow the show at Locked On Mets. And as you made to the end of the show, head over to Locked On Sports today, which is the first ever 24 streaming channel on YouTube covering everything in the world of sports with our local experts from each team and our league wide experts from each league. You can find Locked On Sports today streaming 24 7 on YouTube.